If the universe keeps giving us lemons, perhaps that's a sign we should open some lemonade stands. This summer, we might in fact find ourselves a bit congested with quite a few of those lemonade stands. But to the point of turning lemons into lemonade, perhaps there's a lesson to be learned about beauty emerging from darkness. I wonder if a look at one Vincent Van Gogh might offer us a bit of perspective. We'll find out in 4, 3, 2. Hello, art enthusiasts and art lovers. Welcome to episode 9 of Art Wonderful, the podcast where art is a religion. I'm your host, Nicholas Harper. I'm broadcasting from my art studio deep within the Rogue Buddha Gallery. That's in the heart of the Northeast Arts District in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I want to thank you for joining me as we explore everything the arts have to offer. It's the mission of this podcast to spread the gospel of the arts, their essential value to our everyday lives, and to offer a deep dive exploration into this most mysterious of subjects. You can learn more about myself, the Rogue Buddha Gallery, this podcast, and those we have on the show by visiting us online at roguebuddha.com. Click podcast from the menu. Before we get deep into the episode, I just want to thank everyone who's been tuning in and shooting me messages and showing some love and support and sharing this podcast with their friends. You know, this podcast has really been some 25 years in the making. And while it's still in its infancy, and I'm still figuring things out, I can't express what a joy it is for me to share that which I love with all of you. It's an absolute pleasure and an honor. And what's really cool for me is seeing some of the places that, well, people are tuning in from. Turkey, South Korea, Finland, Spain, France, and England. These are just some of the places I see people tuning in from, and that, well, that tickles the fancy right there. So to all of my European friends, Asian friends, and Middle Eastern friends, hello from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Now, let's get into it, shall we? Last week, I discussed the importance of brick-and-mortar galleries and how essential they are, not just to the art world, but to our society at large. I focused on one area of importance in particular— that being the role of galleries and museums and the like to foster and nurture community and fellowship. This type of community and fellowship I'm talking about here is simply not something you can get from the online world. Even as we have all moved to live video and video conferencing and hosting or attending virtual events online, while these are wonderful stopgaps, and have presented themselves as amazing opportunities to continue our social interactions, they really can't compare to being in the same room with other human beings face-to-face. There are simply too many dynamic factors that make these events, or even walking through a gallery alone or with a friend, there are too many factors that make that experience something truly unique and special. The timing of last week's episode was serendipitous, as I was planning on talking about that very issue along with two or three other key components that make the brick-and-mortar gallery experience invaluable. My belief is that they are, in fact, more important now than ever before. That's in light of our culture trending towards moving ever more and more 
to a digital and virtual space. The fact that the events of the world are as they are, and that this has all transpired when it did, well, it just came at the right time, in a way. And again, not to be opportunistic about the events of the day, but I think that they go to show that just as we're all now basically unable to enjoy these brick-and-mortar spaces, well, it has become apparent for many of us in the art world, as artists, collectors, gallerists, and spectators alike, just how important these things play in our life, and how much flavor they add to our existence. Last week, I hinted that I would talk more about the roles galleries play that are invaluable and not duplicable by online means. However, in light of the continuing events of the day, and the fact that many people are expressing their unease in the face of what seems to be daily uncertainty, I thought I would shift gears and talk a bit about one Vincent van Gogh, and see if there's any room for a lesson by way of finding the potential for beauty to come from darkness, and for optimism and joy to be born out of despair and uncertainty. I find myself in a bit of an odd space these days, not because the world has changed dramatically for me, as it has for so many, but because, sort of, well, the exact opposite is true. That really, for me, things are pretty much as they've always been. What I mean by that is, despite the change in the information coming across the news and media, and a change in the tenor of our society at large, my day-to-day life is basically the same as it was last week and the week before, and the week before that. See, I spend most of my time alone. Easily, 70% of my time is spent alone painting, making music, walking in nature, reading books at cafes, etc. Oh, and now, writing this weekly podcast. The other percentage is spent interacting with the public at the gallery, or with family, friends, etc. And so this quarantine of sorts, or social distancing, well, it's not that different from how I live my life in the first place. Even when getting food from restaurants, I usually take it to go or order in. That way I can eat as I catch up on my conspiracy videos, etc. Not being able to read my books in a coffee shop, though, well, yeah, that one hurts a bit. But this isn't to say that I don't know my share of unease, anxiety, fear, and uncertainty. As if owning an art gallery wasn't enough, Doing so while being a full-time artist, well, let's just say I've racked up quite a few years of uncertainty and doubt about what the future might hold. The self-isolation that comes with being an artist, for me, started at the age of five, at the time my father passed away. I talk about this event and the role it played in my life in depth in episode six, an episode titled Mort V, or Life Death. For me, this was one of those dark times in life that... Well, it ultimately led to something, I think, quite beautiful. A life lived for the arts. A friend asked me the other day if I thought artists are born or made. I didn't know how to answer in that moment, but after reflecting on it for some time, what I've gleaned is that all people are born with the capacity for creativity and to create and invent. In fact, I think we all have a calling to be creative in life and to be active participants in creating our universe. If that creativity is nurtured or sometimes stifled, and in what capacity it may manifest itself as adults, well, that's based on a lot of factors, major events being one of them. 
Had my father not passed away, for example, I may still have become an artist, but rather than creating dark and moody portraits and landscapes, well, I might have become a floral painter, or perhaps become a graphic designer, a florist, or an architect. Then again, I might have went into banking. My thought, though, is that if the creative personality isn't stifled, that it'll present itself in anything it is we choose to do as adults. Even in banking and big business, there's plenty of room for creativity. Pyramid schemes, for instance? Well, that takes a lot of creativity. But I digress. My point is that for me, I began to self-isolate and create works of art as a result of something tragic and extremely painful in my life. The pain of that loss resonated well into adulthood and manifested itself in countless ways, positive and negative. It wasn't until I learned that I could harness my thoughts and my feelings and decide for myself what things mean that I was able to corral the negative and let the darkness go. Now, more so than ever, focusing on the beauty, the optimistic, and the uplifting. At around the age of 12 or so, my sister Patricia took me to the Minneapolis Institute of Art to see the Van Gogh exhibition. That afternoon and that trip to the museum played a pivotal role in my life and in the path that I've chosen to travel since. A few weeks ago, the Ritz Theater used the Rogue Buddha Gallery to host a party for a group of docents from the MIA that were attending the performance by Theater Latte Da later that evening. For those who don't know, docents are basically guides at a museum. They give tours and teach the public about the collections and exhibits on display and share stories and insights into the artists. It was an honor to have them in the Rogue Buddha, as I think the work they do is invaluable, as they help foster that connectivity between works of art and the public at large. I told them briefly about this story and what effect the Van Gogh exhibit had on me. The impact of that day started as we approached the museum. Even before getting out of the car, my antenna was raised as the force of Van Gogh was palpable. See, the line to that exhibit? It was overflowing out of the museum and cascaded down the block all the way to the parking ramp. My sister and I had to park blocks away from the museum as there simply were no places in the immediate vicinity to park. We then joined the tail of the line and began the constant but slow march just to get into those hollowed walls. Once inside, the serpentine line meandered throughout the museum until finally we reached the entrance to the special exhibition room some hours after first arriving in line. It was then that I first really came into contact with Van Gogh. I knew a little bit about him from a few books that I had read, but I wasn't really familiar with him or his work in any great detail. As his work was exploding on the international auction scene, I was familiar that his prices were, well, fetching a good sum, as that was on the nightly news. I knew maybe of three or four of his paintings well, but I had no idea of the scale and scope of what this one person had created, not only by the sheer numbers of work he created in only a short period of time, roughly 10 years, but the thickness of the paint, the boldness of the depth of colors, and his choice of color combinations and compositions, well, the paintings exploded off the canvas. I came away from that exhibit that afternoon as inspired as I was 
in awe. Strangely, while the work itself was magnificent and truly blew me away, the thing that I found more inspiring and what really made my brain crinkle was the sheer number of people that had attended the museum that day, and undoubtedly most of the days it was on exhibit at the Art Institute. The number of people that had been affected by this one artist truly made my mind drip with wonder. I knew then and there that I wanted to affect people like Van Gogh had done. I knew then and there that if I could affect even 1% of 1% of 1% of the people that he had, well, my life would be pretty blessed. Perhaps that's why I considered becoming a priest, and then even an architect. My admiration for great architecture was steeped in the idea that buildings get to be seen and affect thousands and sometimes millions every year. It's out of this reasoning that I'm sort of saddened by the numerous buildings, mostly condos and apartments, in my neck of the woods that are being built in record numbers and in record times, and simply have, in my humble opinion, no architectural significance to speak of. They lack spirit and energy, simply being a combination of prefab designs cobbled together to blend in on any such-and-such block. I'm always amused when hearing a developer say that they used the bricks of other buildings in the neighborhood so as to quote-unquote tie it all in. Well, that's great if you want buildings and neighborhoods that, well, lack any flavor. Unlike a Van Gogh painting or the fabled Anne Randy and Rourke of the Fountainhead, I guess they can't all be testaments and monuments to the human spirit. But I digress. It wasn't until later that I began to learn more about the life of Van Gogh and his numerous troubles. Known as being a madman and failure, Van Gogh suffered from mental illness, suffered from psychotic episodes, delusions, and depression, and lived in solitude and poverty, having never found commercial success as an artist. And before becoming an artist, well, first he failed at being a pastor in a small mining town. Of the mining town, Van Gogh wrote to his brother, it's a somber place, and at first sight, everything around it has something dismal and deathly about it. The workers there are usually people, emaciated and pale, owing to fever, who look exhausted and haggard, weather-beaten, and prematurely old. The women generally sallow and withered. All around the mine are poor miners' dwellings, with a couple of dead trees, completely black from the smoke, and thorn hedges, dung heaps, and rubbish dumps, mountains of unusable coal. He then concluded that a certain artist, quote, would make a beautiful painting of it. As to his failing at being a pastor here, a former head of collections at the Van Gogh Museum writes, that was a huge blow for Van Gogh, who to that point wasn't successful at any other endeavor in his life. He must have spent a lot of time thinking about what to do and where to go next. He wants to be of use. He wants to mean something to people. He then takes the decision to become an artist. Mr. Van Houten continues, but it's clear that from the very beginning his paintings and his work is meant to bring consolation to people, to give them moments of emotion and rest. Van Gogh's troubles, however, don't end after becoming an artist at the age of 27. At one point, he cuts off part of his own ear. 
And while the actual facts of that situation are unclear, I do like the tale that he presented it as a gift to a local prostitute. And eventually, again, under unclear circumstances, he suffers a gunshot wound that leads to his death a couple days later. In all likelihood, this was a suicide. Surely Van Gogh had traveled to the depths of our human experience, his soul living in the darkest of places imaginable. And yet, out of this despair, and dare I say annihilation of self, came hundreds of the most beautiful paintings anyone could ever imagine, and in such a style as had never been seen before. His paintings of irises, and the painting of the starry night, perhaps one of the most recognizable paintings on earth, were created while a resident in an insane asylum. The starry night painting was just one of some 21 paintings he created that depicted the view from his room in that asylum. Through the iron-barred window, he wrote to his brother Theo, I can see an enclosed square of wheat, above which in the morning I watch the sun rise in all its glory. While his life, nor the end of it, are not what I would wish to emulate, nor would I recommend it for anyone else, I believe his art and many of his words, those captured in the form of letters to his brother Theo, well, they offer us a glimpse of hope, of wonder and insight especially when we find ourselves in trying times. I know many of us want to return to a place of normalcy and routine, that for many of us it's easy to be anxious, depressed, and even fearful. It's here that I'm reminded of another Van Gogh quote. Normality is a paved road. It's comfortable to walk, but no flowers grow on it. This can be taken for me in two ways. First, if we find ourselves in the rut of routine, well, in order to let those flowers grow, we might have to wake ourselves up from this normalcy and get out of our comfort zone. Secondly, if we find ourselves woken up from that normalcy and comfort zone without warning and against our own wishes, as is sort of the case in our world for many of us right now, well, this might be an opportunity for great beauty to spring forth. That is, if we choose to let our mind see things this way. Right now, we as a world find ourselves in a place of uncertainty, and for some of us, this can be truly frightening. But what I want to emphasize in this episode is that, well, no matter how dark things get, there's room for beauty to emerge from it. And if we can only train our minds on the positive and the potential for beauty, well, that might help ease some of the discomfort. It might just open up a clearer path as to how we might navigate and mitigate the situation and use it to the betterment, not just of ourselves, but of those we love and of society at large. I myself, for instance, am right now consulting with a number of people on a possible male art exhibition designed to celebrate the human spirit. Because of the sequestration of the planet, well, that's opened up the potential for a male art exhibit, something I probably never would have done if not for this situation and the necessity for most of the galleries in the world to shut their doors to the public. Like water finding its way around obstacles, so too, we as gallerists and curators and artists must find ways to continue to make art, to promote it, and to nurture it. If you're interested in finding out more about this exhibit, do keep an eye on the roguebuddha.com website. I'll be making updates on the event page as things take shape. 
hopefully by the end of this week. Also, over the past week, I've been going online and giving live tours of the gallery and the artwork on exhibit in the now dark Rogue Buddha Gallery. This is my attempt at perfecting my lemonade recipe, so to speak. It's a way to keep in contact with the outside world and to promote art as a saving grace. So too, I've seen numerous other artists going live, talking about and showing their work, and even just letting us watch as they plug away in their studios. A good friend of mine and great artist, Christy Kirk, she even went online and let us watch her eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I find great inspiration in these moments, as it's a reminder that we are all still connected and that life moves forward, regardless. And not to overquote Van Gogh today, but I also love the words, Art is to console those who are broken by life. These videos, and they're not just the ones by artists, but artists and non-artists alike, not only make each other's day a bit brighter, but they serve to keep hope alive. I really hope that didn't sound too overdramatic. But these are a reminder to me that we have the ability to shape our thoughts and actions, to define for ourselves what things mean, and ultimately to be active participants as co-creators of our universe, despite whatever circumstances might arise within or out of our control. So to all the artists and non-artists out there, by all means, please keep creating on and do share what you're doing. I would also shout out to collectors and patrons to stay in touch with your favorite artists and to find ways to support them, even outside of just buying their artwork. In many ways, you're sharing their work via social media, for instance. Well, that goes farther than you could ever imagine. And I mention collectors here specifically because I think their role in the arts and in the creative act is essential, as really, I believe the soul of the artist and the soul of the collector are really one and the same. They are, in fact, kindred spirits. Emanating from the same place, they simply express the creative principle in different manners, one by making the art, the other by supporting and enjoying it. I can't help but think back to Van Gogh's desire to be a pastor and what being a pastor really means. We know he wanted to help others and be of service and to ease the pain of those who suffer. But also, well, the role of a pastor, it's a calling to save and deliver souls and to deliver them to the kingdom of heaven. At the risk of sounding a little bit preachy here, I tend to believe this kingdom well, it exists within each and every one of us, and it's accessible through awakening our soul, knowing it exists, and then nurturing it. As I've stated a few times in various episodes, I tend to think art is one of the best conduits to this soul. And with that in mind, I can't help but believe that Vincent van Gogh was more successful in saving souls and delivering them to heaven than he could have ever imagined or accomplished had he remained a pastor in a small mining town. While perhaps viewed at the time by the public as a madman and a failure, even perhaps to himself, he was anything but, and the pain and suffering that he endured, even as he lay in his deathbed, well, it wasn't for nothing, as the world and those of us who have followed are all the benefactors of the great beauty from which it was born.
Normally, I would end an episode with a suggestion for an art opening to attend this weekend. Well, that ain't gonna happen, as everything is closed. What I will suggest, however, is that you head over to mplsart.com and peruse their articles. They have a lot of great articles for your reading pleasure, and again, that's at mplsart.com. I'd also recommend checking out nema.org. That's the Northeast Minneapolis Arts Association and spend some time sifting through the artist profiles. With over 1,000 artist members, there's a ton of art for you to enjoy and fall in love with. That, again, is at nema.org. N-E-M-A-A dot org. And that's a wrap for this episode of Art Wonderful, coming to you from deep inside the Rogue Boot Gallery. I want to thank you for joining me, and I hope you do so again and often. Until next time, remember, the best life is the creative life, and the best self is the artistic self. Cheers. Now, where did I put those lemons? Time to make that stand.